Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, April 30th, 2023 called Redeemed in Christ, Alleluia, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Well, God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So there's an outline if you want to look at it, and I'm afraid that all of you are despairing because there are 10 points. Um, Please do not despair. Um, 10 minutes per point, thanks a lot. Um, Is that a challenge? (laughs) Um, So it's interesting. uh, what what, What I'm really hoping to do is to use this text... Uh, In the summer, we haven't planned out summer and beyond. We're planned with sermons and so forth through Ascension Day, which is about June 11th or 12th, and then we're going to plan. But as I looked at this one, I said, man, I want to take each of these points and just talk about them individually as we go uh, this, this summer sometime. I, uh, when I teach Life in Christ next Sunday, we're bringing in some new members, excited about that. We've got some baptisms that are part of it and confirmations. It's all really neat process that we do two times a year. And, uh, and what happens is, so I have, like, I have like 12 sessions in this Life in Christ process that I do. And for nine sessions, all I do is talk about God, the nature of God, humanity, the nature and, and condition of humanity, and our world, and how God has chosen to act to save us, to not abandon us, to keep his promises to us. And I go for nine sessions, and there's only a couple sessions left, and I get to session 10, and I often say to people in the class, please don't miss this one. This one will change your life. This is the life changer. Because for so many ways, because people ask me often, they often ask me, well, what's our part? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? Like, if I become a member, what does a member do? What does that mean? Why is that of any value? And I'm not answering all those questions by, by, no, by any means. But I, what I'm really hoping is, and even our approach here in worship on Sundays, is we talk about who God is and the nature and character of God, the goodness and compassion of God, our, con- our condition and our need for God. And how desperately we need him to keep his promises to us and how we experience his grace and things like baptism and the Lord's Supper and worship and in the word. What we're really hoping is that when you're done, just like every time we preach, our goal is not for you to walk out of here saying, boy, he gave me 10 things I'm not very good at and I better get good at those things. And if I'm not good at them, then I'm probably not a very good Christian. That, that would be heresy and that would be a horror for me to lay it out in that way. What we want you to walk out is to say, wow, what a great Jesus we have. What could I do? How do we live as those who have been so graced, so blessed? So that's why I wait that long. I want to build the case real hard. You know, it's not like, well, I want to do this to get heaven. You already got that. I want to, get the, I want to do this so that I can get God's love. Already got it. I want to get this so, I'm, so I can be saved, already saved. So this is the one that says I get to. And this passage that we're going to look at is a beautiful exposition of what that's about. What did that look like? How did the redeemed live? The people who lived in the light of the resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, how did they live? And so really, so I'll give an example. 
Um, we went to Germany last uh, September, a group of us, about 40 of us went over there, and we did Lutheran stuff and German stuff and things like that, just kind of looking at those. And it was a delightful time. And it was interesting. I had never spent, you know, 10, 14 days in, in Europe, and, um, but Teresa and I had lived in Japan for a couple years, and we have traveled outside of the country a number of times, and, and you're always aware of kind of the ugly American syndrome, and you don't want to be one of those. You know, the demanding, kind of jerky, like, you know, how come you people are, won't live like us or do like us or be like us, that kind of thing. And you, you, if you watch, like, House Hunters International, anybody ever watch that show? I love watching it because it's kind of fun to see how people live, actually live, not just the tourist attractions, but I kind of like it. And every once in a while, you get these Americans that go over, I don't know, to Scotland or Holland, how come there's so many stairs, you know, or how come the bathroom isn't bigger, and you know, that bed is too small, and you know, it's this kind of thing, and I always kind of want to say, do you not watch TV? I mean, have, you're on this show, you've never seen this show, and so what's interesting though is now, and there are bad examples of that, and in the two weeks we spent in Germany, I saw it maybe one time where I saw, and I didn't even know if it was an American, but kind of a kind of an ugly American kind of scene where it was, I was embarrassed for them, kind of. Because for us, our interactions were just delightful. We were learning, we wanted to learn, it was really interesting. But Americans live a certain way because they're Americans. And, and let me explain that for a minute. And, and I'm making no political statements here at all. So okay, so just erase that idea. But we are blessed in so many ways in, to have the opportunity, I mean, especially if you live in the West, like, you know, this is hilarious. If you live in a 3,000-square-foot home in Pocatello, it's almost a small house. Isn't that weird? Because, like, in, I remember in, in Portland, we were dying to get a house that's 1,500 square feet. Could we please have that house? So we live a certain way because it's how we have lived. There are things that we experience and we appreciate. There's opportunity. There's space. There's freedom to do X and X and X. Americans live the way Americans live because they're Americans. Now, let me make a much better comparison and say Christians live, the redeemed live, because we've been redeemed. We live in the manner in which we live because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That's what this is describing. And so, before we go too much farther, what I want to say, too, is it would be easy to look at these ten points I give you, and it would be the worst, and I've already kind of mentioned it, it would be the worst thing in my mind if you went out and said, oh, I stink at those things. Or, I'm not a good Christian if I don't do that. That is not what I'm talking about here. This is really an opportunity for us to... Well, here, here's the example. I didn't even say this one at 8.30 because I was really rushing, thinking it was going to take me an hour to preach a sermon. Uh, in The Chosen, there's a great scene on the Sermon on the Mount. It's in kind of the season two and then into season three. And, and Jesus is... They make this up. This is not in the Bible. I mean, Matthew records it in his The Beatitudes... The Sermon on the Mount is in full detail in Matthew. So Jesus in the show is working with Matthew as his scribe to write down his thoughts of the sermon and work through them. And he's trying to figure out how to begin. And so finally, early, early in the morning, Jesus comes to Matthew and he says, I've got it. Come on, let's get your, get your stuff out so we can start writing this down. And Matthew's like, Rrr. and he gets up and he says, well, what did, what did you figure out? And Jesus says, it's a map. And I love that. I had not ever thought of the Beatitudes, right? You know what that is? Blessed are those who mourn, 
right? Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are, you know, the pure in heart. And Jesus talks about those blessings. And Matthew says to him, a map, what do you mean? He says, if they want to find me, they need to find the groups of people who live like this. And I think this has that kind of thing to say to us. What, the, what, what St. Luke records for us in Acts chapter 2 about how did those redeemed people live is a map. I mean, it's, you can say it many ways. It, this is just one idea. It can kind of serve as a map. You want to find the people who follow Jesus? Look for these things. Um, because here's the phrase in here, and I saved this to the end in the other one. The phrase that I think is powerful, if you have the scripture in front of you, can you put that scripture up? Okay, let's, so I'll, I'll go through this. Go to the next slide, Heather. Okay, look at this. It concludes this way. I'm looking back there. You can see it here. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and look at this phrase, and enjoying the favor of all the people. It didn't just mean the favor of all the people in the church. The word in Greek is laos. It's laos means people. All people, the, the population. So Christians had the favor of all their neighbors. Is that the reality today in our world? You know, if you look for approval ratings on biblical Christians, and I'm not, again, I'm making, I'm just saying, people, people struggle. I think this is a goal. I think this is a good goal for the people of God. I don't want people to admire us because we agree. I want people to admire us because we're doing right. We're being right. Because we've been made right, we be to other people. And that doesn't mean that we... Do you think we would get agreement with all of us here in the room on all things? That's not the point. But Christ is our head. Christ leading the way. Eyes on Christ. Christ held up high in front of us. I love this idea. Wouldn't it be the great goal to have the favor of all the people? The people looked and said, wow, those people are something different. Those people are pretty special. And these are the things that kind of show that to, uh, that happened. But I like the idea of kind of a map to find the church. Now, let me make a point to you, too. Because, again, I'm going to say this several times, and this isn't just me being kind of Lutheran, okay? Because Lutherans like to preach law and gospel. So we say law, here's how we're broken. Gospel, here's how God has healed us and shows us his grace in Christ, right? Hallelujah. So I don't want you to read this as all law. Let me tell you why I can say that. There are numerous places in the Bible where Jesus gives us imperatives or commands Make disciples of all nations. Do this in remembrance of me. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, right? We could go on and on. There's any number of things we could say. Jesus gives commands. Jesus is not some milk toast, limp noodle that says do whatever you want. Go and sin no more, okay? There's all kinds of commands. Not one of these things is a command. They're descriptors. And that should be good news. Here's my example. So... Um, Chris's wife, Samantha, she teaches seventh grade Christian studies, and she invited me to come in and teach Christian studies for a couple of days and on spiritual gifts. And it's really fun because I have the students go through and identify their spiritual gifts. There's an assessment we take, and they identify those things. And then I love to put them up on the board or on the Promethean and just show them, look at how God is so good. Look at how God is so abundant, so generous. And then I say to them, 
there's like 27 of these gifts. How many of them do you think I have? And like one kid said, oh, you have all of them. I go, yeah. There's no way, right? I have some. I have some. But there are some that I struggle with. It's hard for me. The gift of intercession is hard for me. The gift of mercy is hard for me. God has to be big in me in those, for those things to happen. And that's why we need each other. Why God has put us. So when you see these 10 things, it's not a thing, if I don't have all 10, I'm a mess. It's what has God, how has God wired me? How has God given me opportunity? And how, Lord, then can you work in me the joy of my salvation in such a way that I say, Lord, I want that chance. I want that opportunity to do the things which you have described, which was expressed in this church, this early church. So I'm going to back up here a minute because it's, go ahead and back up, Heather, for me. And so we're going to do this, but there's a few verses beforehand. Right before this, these verses, Peter is preaching his sermon on Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, and you hear me use these words in the baptism, because he's just told them, you killed the Messiah and he came back to life. And it says, they were cut to the heart. He just spoke right to their heart. And they say to Peter, what do we do? What do we do? And he says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, good, thanks. I'm glad we had that. So the first two are this, repentant and trusting. Thanks, Teresa, whoever is responsible for that, reading my mind. That's a good thing. So the thing that I love about this is, so for instance, the first one, repentant. I was talking, our men's group meets on Thursdays, and I had a, it was kind of fun, and it came up in conversation. I, I am so tired of public figures, celebrities, politicians, whoever, um, attempting to make apologies on TV. I'm so sick to death of it, because here's how essentially it goes. They may not say these exact words, but this is how I read it. I am really sorry that you were offended, you dumb people, at the thing I did. I, I did this thing, and I'm really sorry you were offended. And that's not an apology. I don't know. Is it? It's not an apology. I, the apology, I'll tell you again, I'm going to mention The Chosen. Um, there's a great scene. There's one of these episodes. I think it's season uh, three, episode two. And there's two great scenes in it. But the one that I want to focus on is Matthew. Again, we don't know this in the Bible, but as a tax collector, Matthew was probably, they do a good job in describing this, he was probably estranged in his family because he was working for the enemy. He was working for the Romans. And he was taxing everybody to death. And he was the Jewish guy doing it. And so he's estranged from his father. His father has disowned him. You are no longer my son. I mean, they, they sat Shiva for a week and wore black and mourned the loss of their son. And Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He's called by Christ and follows him. And he hears this sermon on the mount and essentially is moved by the words, if you have an offense, <clears throat> if you have an offense with someone, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and make amends. And so he follows that. He hears Jesus' words and he goes and does that. And so he approaches his father and it's, one of the, it's just a great scene. His apology is, I know you lost your business because of me. I know you were shamed because of me. I know that you were out of the synagogue because of me. I know that you lost all your friends because of me. And I am so sorry. 
I'm going to find something to atone. He hasn't quite gotten to all the good stuff from Jesus yet. But he's, I'm going to do something to atone. It's just a powerful scene as I watch it. It's just powerful. And it's, what's cool is his father says, I have to apologize to you too. And, and Matthew is just taken aback because he's like, we heard the sermon too. <laughs> and he said, I had no right. I had no right to disown you as my son. And so there's all this forgiveness going on. There's all this humble repentance going on. I mean, it's Matthew saying, I was the cause of all of that. And so in the, in the celebrity apology, repentance means to make a 180-degree turn. In the, in the celebrity apology, there's no turn. There's no course correction even. Yeah, I mean, there's not even an adjustment. It's like, I'm really sorry if you were offended, you dope. And in real repentance, the people of God, this repentant community, said, I was going this way, and now I'm going that way. It's a 180-degree turn. That's a mark of the redeemed community. But the second thing is, the second part of that, repent and be baptized, and you will, be, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what a gift that is. The gift of the Spirit, which invites us to say, you know those promises of God? They are true. You know that, Jesus? He is God. You know what he did on the cross? That saved you full and free. You are no longer on the hook. You are no longer indebted. You are his own. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches faith, proclaims Christ, constantly is inviting the people of God to walk in trust. And so the second one, then, is trusting these marks. As he goes on, now let's get to the actual part here that's real familiar, because they had 3,000 new men came in, and so their families too, probably, you know, and they're all this massive influx of believers in Jesus Christ. So what did that new huge community look like? So here's the next one. They devoted themselves. What does that mean? I'm going to go through each of these very quickly. First things first. I don't know about you. This is a plague on me, and I ask God for help with this all the time. I wake up about 4.30, and my mind goes boom. It clicks into gear, and off I go. And you know what's bad? My first thoughts of my day are not, like I, this is another cool thing in The Chosen. Every time they wake up, they're like, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has given me another day of life. Or something like that. And Luther says it, when you wake up in the morning, Mark yourself at the sign of the cross to remember that you're baptized. Remember that you're one of his children. And then there's a morning prayer that he has. I don't start that way, I'm confessing to you. I wish I did. I, you know what, and I'm so embarrassed to say this. I wake up at 4.30 and you know what it is? How am I going to get that Trex to fix, fit under the threshold? That's an idiot. I'm an idiot. Oh, I forgot to fill up Teresa's car last night. Oh, you know, or oh no, I forgot to write down that appointment, or something like that, and boom, my mind is going, and it's going without God. Anyone relate? And so what this devotion means, I love that they start, they devoted themselves to these things, first things first. It's a priority thing. It's a priority thing. And so it's a reminder. And the only way I know this happens is when we're reminding each other. And not with, ha, I'm better than you, but rather, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. Third thing is this. They have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what do you think that was, the apostles' teaching? The apostles were teaching them how to do financial management or, you know, how to manage their household or get a job. No, 
It's the word. They devoted themselves to the word, to what the apostles were teaching. Because what do you think the apostles were teaching? Look here in the Old Testament. That's talking about Jesus. Look at here. Look how that was fulfilled. Look at how God kept that promise. Look at what Jesus said. Do you remember what he said when he healed that person? Do you remember what he said when he taught on the mount? Do you remember what happened on the mountain of transfiguration and in his baptism and on the cross and that the tomb is empty? Do you remember? They were devoted to the word. Not a feeling. You can imagine, think about that day on Pentecost. When Peter stands up there, and there's thousands and thousands of male pilgrims. They're in that part of the temple where only men were allowed. And he's preaching to them, and he essentially says, stands up in front of all these thousands of them, how Peter doesn't die is only a testimony to God's protection. That God was protected. Because in front of thousands of people, he points his finger at them and said, you killed the Messiah. We've been waiting Thousands of years. You killed him. What were you thinking? But God did not let his body suffer decay. He rose from the dead. We are witnesses of that fact. Isn't that, it's a miracle. He's not dead. And instead, something moved. The Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of those people. And you can imagine, can't you, from that point on, those believers or new believers might be tempted. And in fact, this is how the enemy works. You remember that feeling you had that day, that where you were moved so powerfully, where you were moved so much, and you don't have that feeling now? It must not be true. It was more than a feeling because it was in the Word. This is a critical piece because I see so many Christians, man, I was so moved. I was, it was, so, I was, a, I was a camp. I had this experience. I had this. I don't have that feeling now. It must not be true. Or it's okay for you but not for me. In the Word. In the Word is what makes it not just viable, sustainable. Next one. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, this is an interesting thing to me. You know, we use this old cliche, you, uh, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. And family, what a great gift from God that is, isn't it? What a gift that related by blood or adoption you know, we have children that we adore, grandparents and parents that we respect and love. We have cousins and uncles. There are people we adore. Our hearts break when the things don't go right, and they exult when things go, go well, right? And, and yet, isn't it interesting that even the family itself, there's a created peace there, isn't there? There's not a blood peace, husband and wife. That's a created peace. Like I tell couples all the time when they do their vows, you know what you're saying? You stand up there and you say, today I choose you. And I'm going to choose you tomorrow and the day after that and every day until I'm dead. I choose you. I'm hoping you're going to say that back to me too. But just in case you don't, I still choose you. That's a, that's a created thing. That's a made thing. Look around the room, same thing. We're blood also, but of course in a different way. It's the blood of Christ which unites us the body and blood of Christ which we receive here together. And so it's more than a feeling. It's grounded in the Word. It's rooted in the Word. Family, bound together by Christ and His grace. Next one. So, to the breaking of bread. Now, most commentators, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Most commentators will say that means Holy Communion of the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean potlucks, okay? They weren't devoted to a monthly potluck. 
They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Why is that its significance? It's the table. They were invited to the table. Why? For the, for the redeemed, the tangible presence of Christ himself. His presence and his promise that they could taste and touch and that it was done in community. This is, this is a mark of the redeemed. Hungry for that. That at the table we're joined together. I love to tell people this too. So obviously, there is a you and Jesus element to Holy Communion, right? Of course there is. Jesus invites your heart, your spirit. No one can believe for you. You are responding to the call of the Holy Spirit, and you say, yes, Lord, I believe. I want to come. You've invited me to the table. I come. And you do come. You yourself comes. And there is this going on, correct? But what we also know is there's this going on also. Remember what Jesus, uh, what, what, what's, what, uh, what's said in our words of institution in 1 Corinthians? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's a powerful statement. We're saying something to one another. It's like, hey, come to the table with me. There's, there's gifts there. Christ is there. The community was completely invested in, I don't know how this works. But Jesus said he'll be there, and I want to meet him there, and I want to receive him there. And so the community was committed to the table, to the place where the community gathered in the very presence of Christ. And then the next one is prayer. And you almost skip over that one because, well, duh, yeah, we already do that. Not quite like this. This prayer is not, God, what can I get you to do for me? But this is a prayer of preparation. You know that. Chris will do it today. Every time we come to the Lord's table, whoever is officiating, we have a prayer of preparation. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive you. We, we say it ten different ways. But Lord, prepare us to come to the table with a spirit ready to receive you. Not a spirit of arrogance or pride, but a spirit of humility, a spirit of anticipation. Their prayer was anticipation of the next point. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Look at the next line. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. What was another mark of the redeemed? A mark of the redeemed is that they were ready for God to act. So it wasn't a question for this early church community of a prayer of like, well, God, if you will do something. But rather it was a thing is when you do something, God, make me ready. Make me ready. And I'll tell you what, it's what prayer does. Mrs. Parker does a nice job with this in her sixth grade Christian studies in that she helps teach kids that prayer is kind of a radio dial. Do you remember what those are? You know, and you know, if you didn't turn it just right while you're driving down the road, it would crackle. And, and prayer is kind of tuning into the right channel. And so it's a ready for God to act, knowing that God will act, but being ready to do it. Ninth one. So then... And people will often say this, you know, because they think these are commands. There are some Christian denominations who think these are commands, and they're not. But they are descriptors of the redeemed community. And so here's an, everyone, here it says this. Um, um, the believers were all together, had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. People go, ha-ha, that's a call to communism. Yeah, no, it's not that. Okay. So here's the deal. So when I go wander through school, I love wandering through school. You know what's one of the great prizes if you're a little? To be the line leader. 
I get to be the line leader, right? Would you like to be the line leader? Yeah, man. So, and it, people, and kids get it on their birthday always. It's a real treasure. I get to be the line leader. Wouldn't that be one of the neatest marks of the redeemed community? Is that I get to be the line leader. First in line. What happens too often is when we, show, when we talk about a need, and this congregation is tremendously generous and wonderfully responsive, it's great. But sometimes, and I'm tempted by this too, let's see if everybody else steps up. And if everybody, if there's still a need at the end, then let me know. That's backwards. That's backwards. If there's a need, what can I do? What can I do? It doesn't matter what everybody else does. If there's a need, what can I do? I'm going to lay a fleece out here today. <clears throat> so I got a call from uh, Pastor uh, Josh Robinson over at Gate City. How many of you are familiar with the back-to-school effort? So thousands of kids. One year we did 5,000 kids, families, were, were blessed with school supplies for a year. Many of you have been involved generously and with time and volunteering and so forth. And he called me and he said, we can't do it anymore. We just can't do it. We don't have the oomph, the energy. His health has changed dramatically. And he said, I want you guys to do it. <laughs> Would you guys? Now, it's a thing. I mean, it's a thing. And we've just hosted and helped. But it's a thing. And it takes some juice to do it. But there's an opportunity because he said, here's the thing. He said, look, to be really honest, if our only goal was to just put as many school supplies in the hands of as many kids as possible, we would hand it over to our LDS neighbors because they have more wards, more church, you know, more. They have more oomph. They have more people. And they have a, a, a kind of a theology which says you ought to do this stuff, um, right? You kind of need to do this stuff. And he said, I don't want to hand it off. They've asked me for years, could we just take it over? And he says, I want to keep it in the Christian community. So I'm laying that fleece out there. Can we pull it off? That's the question. But it takes generous. It takes generous time, generous investment, and it's kind of like first in line, right? It, I felt really humbled and honored that he said that he thought of us first. At least that's what he told me. Last one is this, last one is this. Um, and then look how it ends. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Imagine if every Sunday we were welcoming new people who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Would you have a little bit of joy? A little bit of joy that people experience the same grace, the same welcome, the same love that we ourselves have experienced. And this is what I think joy, I think this is the root of joy. It's not hard, is it, to go around and say, how come God won't do this? How come this is going wrong? How come this is bad? How come, right? Instead of stopping and saying, look at what God is doing. Look at what God is, God is on the move. God is doing some amazing things. And so really, this is an invitation not to create a list for yourself of to do things that you got to check off and score big on. It really is to say, Lord, if you provide an opportunity, would you give me the faith? Would you give me the joy to respond? God is always after our availability, not our ability. If he was relying on ability, we'd all be in a hot mess, right? But he makes us, but when we're available, he equips us with his spirit 
and by his grace. And so I pray that God was honored in what we said today. I don't want you to be burdened. I want this to be a chance for us to celebrate and to see what God might do and what he is doing in our midst. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Oh,